Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Stout. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. So I've been waiting for this one for quite a while. Um, today we're going to talk about none other than Sir Edward Kelly. And we'll talk a little bit about John Dee as well, but he will also have his own show. So I know that these, these kind of overlap a lot and sometimes they're kind of thought of as a duo. But um, we're, we'll concentrate on, on Kelly on this one. Now he was known, also known as Edward Talbot. That was his birth name. He lived from 1555 to 1597. And he's kind of this, this strange, murky figure in, in the English Renaissance, really involved in the kind of occultist movement at the time. He was a self-declared spirit medium who, again, worked with John Dee. He also kind of professed the ability to summon spirits or angels, and he used this crystal ball to do this, which, you know, John Dee thought was a great thing. That's exactly what John Dee was after. And he also claimed to possess the secret of transmutating base metals into gold, which is why you're hearing about him today. A lot of these legends, he, I mean, he, he quickly grew larger than life shortly after his death. So it's, it, people are kind of peeling back the, the, the layers of the onion you know, as we go. But there's, there's a lot of interesting stories going around his, uh, his life and, and death and all that. Travis, we, you know, we, we talk about in our podcast who would like to really have a, a, a beer with, you know, and, and talk to in these historical figures in alchemy or, or in the history that we talk about. And, and I think he would be my choice. I, I would like to have a beer with Edward Kelly because he probably has some great stories and he had some ups and downs, which make for a great bar telling, you know, at, at, yeah. at, at a local pub. The, oh, well, th- this is definitely, when I thought of the idea of this show, this was definitely in the top five on my list for and, sure. And we mentioned that, you know, his, his life is, had those peaks and valleys and, what, much of what we know about Kelly's early life is, is pretty obscure. He claimed descendancy from a family in Uy, Maine, in Ireland. That's one of the oldest, largest kingdoms in Ireland. I'm sorry, I don't know the pronunciation in Ireland. Yeah, so, sorry for that, folks. <laughs> he was born in Worcester in, uh, on August 1st, 1555, as you mentioned, Travis, uh, at 4 p.m. We have an exact date on that, according to the horoscope that John Dee drew up and based his notes on as John, as John Dee kept in his almanac, which uh, he used as his diary, by the way. So we have that kind of account. However, much of Kelly's life before meeting John Dee is just not known. He may have studied at Oxford under the name of Talbot. We don't know that for sure, of course. Yeah. Whether or not he attended the university at all, that would be up for debate. Kelly was educated and knew Latin and possibly some Greek. So he probably did have some higher education. We just don't know exactly where or what certification he might have uh, achieved. Yeah, even if one ex- one accepts the that he was a complete charlatan at face value, he was still a clever guy, definitely. Um, according to several accounts, Kelly was pilloried, which means whipped publicly. So he also got in trouble a lot, obviously. This was in, in Lancaster for forgery or counterfeiting, um, which is also kind of a recurring theme in his life. Uh, both his ears were cropped, which was a common p- punishment during the Tudor dynasty. Uh, John Weaver says... 
Kelly or Talbot, that famous English alchemist of our times who flying out of his own country after he had lost both his ears at Lancaster, was entertained by Rudolf II and last of that Christian name, Emperor of Germany. So this, you know, he had permanent marks of being a kind of a swindler and charlatan, and yet he could go to the court of the Holy Roman Emperor and impress that man, you know. So that, that's pretty interesting. Let's also mention this. There have been also some other anecdotes about Kelly that he also had longer hair to cover up these cropped ears. Right. All right. Yep. So now I would imagine if you're in the court and, and, and basically put in the court of Rudolf II, uh, that you are going to be pretty much examined from, <laughs> from the top of your head down to the, the bottoms of your toes, uh, that people did kind of know these marks. But if you were to talk to him in, at the royal court or outside in these situations, you probably didn't know he, uh, his background by looking at his ears. You probably had him covered. Yeah. And also one thing to note is that most sources – say that he, his first job was kind of was as an apprentice to an apothecary, which makes sense because that would give him you know, a, lot Access. Of the, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the knowledge set that he would later need. So Kelly approached John Dee in 1582, and Dee had already been trying to contact angels before him, so he, he had a keen interest in doing this, and he used a kind of a scryer or crystal gazer, and I, I think both of those things you can see in the British Museum. They're, they're still around. But, uh, but he had not been successful, okay? But John Dee was clearly looking for somebody that could talk to angels. And here comes Kelly walking by that, um, had to, that made these claims, right? So um, he showed Dee, John Dee, what he could do, and he, Dee was actually greatly impressed. So Kelly became Dee's regular scryer. Dee and Kelly devoted huge amounts of time and energy on these kind of spiritual conferences. And from uh, 1582 to 89, Kelly's life was closely tied to Dee's. I mean, really, I mean, that's why they're kind of thought of as a duo in many times. Kind of like, I mean, we did, we did Kepler and Brahe in one show. And that was and, a classic duo. And yeah. they also only had a few years in common. So, you know, it's, it's just, they, they kind of go together in history. But um, in, in those seven years that they were together, they can conducted these conferences, including, quote, prayers for enlightenment in the spirit of these ecumenical hopes that alchemy and angelic knowledge would heal the rift of Christendom. So there was kind of a spiritual aspect there, clearly. Kelly married a widow by the name of Jane Cooper of Chippenick Norton. Uh, He later uh, helped educate her children, uh, being a good stepfather, and and she described him as a kind stepfather and noted that uh, how he took Took, took her in after the deaths of her two grandmothers. Uh, so Kelly also had hired a Latin tutor for her and named John by the name of John Hammond. Uh, so we see kind of a softer side here, Travis. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, of Kelly. So very interesting. And about a year or so after entering into Dee's service, Kelly appeared with an alchemical book, the Book of Dunstan, and a quantity of red powder, which Kelly claimed he and certain John Blokely had been led to by a, quote, spiritual creature at Northwick Hill. The accounts of Kelly finding the book and the powder in the ruins of Glastonbury Abbey were first published by Elias uh, Ashmole, but are, con- are contradictory by Dee's diaries themselves. So that's kind of a little side note. Yeah. But with this said powder, um, was, I mean, we think that the, 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 the secrets of the powder were hidden in the book, right? So they kind of go together. Um, Kelly believed he could prepare a red tincture, which would allow him to transmutate base metals into gold. So kind of, you know, philosopher's stone of sorts. Uh, 
And he reportedly demonstrated its power a few times over the year, including in Bohemia, which is, you know, Czech Republic, where he indeed resided for many years. A year after that, or the, the, basically the next year in uh, 1583, Dee became acquainted with Prince Albert Laszki, a Polish nobleman interested in alchemy. And this is kind of an interesting story, and we'll, we'll expound on this a little bit more in John Dee's episode. But in September of that year, Dee, Kelly, and their families all left England with Lasky for the continent, and Dee sought the patronage of Emperor Rudolf II in Prague, and also King Stefan of Poland in Krakow. And uh, Dee uh, basically kind of failed to impress either monarch. Um, Kelly, on the other hand, is a different story. But Dee and Kelly lived in a lived a sort of you know nomadic life in this in this time in Central Europe. They kind of you know were searching patronage and, and went from one place to another. Um, throughout this whole time, they continued with their spiritual conferences. Though Kelly was more interested in alchemy than in scrying. And again, we'll we'll add some more details to that in the other episode. Um, but it's that, that's. Pretty interesting stuff. I think also what sticks out to me also as a family man here is here you have two guys knowing that they're trying to put a fast one on some of the most important people in Europe, rulers in Europe, and they have their family in tow. Well, the, the experts are out on putting a fast one on them because um, Kelly almost certainly yes, but D almost certainly no. Because he, D was a true believer. D was the real deal. Okay. Yeah. So – so it's hard to – and people aren't really sure on a lot of points whether D was in on some of this or whether Kelly even put a fast one over on, on D and then, you know, like D was D one of the victims or was he one of the charlatans? There, there's, a, there's a big blurry gray area in the middle there. So Kelly and D's involvement in uh, necromancy eventually caught the attention of the Catholic Church, of course. And on the 27th of March, 1587, they were required to defend themselves in a hearing um, with the papal nuncio. Germanico Malaspina, the Bishop of San Sirvio. Dee handed the inter, uh, handled the interview with tact, but Kelly is said to have infuriated the nuncio by stating that one of the problems with the Catholic Church is the, quote, poor conduct of many of the priests, unquote. Oh, winning some friends over there, uh, yeah. evidently. So, so Dee kind of kept uh, hold on his tongue. Kelly said to kind of told how it was, right? Yeah, that's, that's not the time not, or the place. Not a good time to be yeah. uh, brave, I guess. The nuncio noted in a letter that he was tempted to toss Kelly out the window, kind of a defenestration of sorts uh, in progress traditions that we talk on the Bohemian podcast. It's kind of a thing, right? Here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you can kind of see how that was going. Oh. So in 1586, Kelly and Dee found the patronin of the wealthy Bohemian count Willem Rosenberg also known as Lord Rosenberg. That's, you know, once a Czech name, once a German name. But Rosenberg was a senior official from a powerful family who also shared Kelly and Dee's alchemical interests and is known to have participated in spiritual sessions with the two men. So that's something I wasn't really... Very influential guy in yeah, an influential Rosenberg family. Rosenberg I know a lot right. about, Be- but I didn't know that Basically into- that family ran southern Bohemia, oh, yeah. very close to, to the Austrian of, of uh, Austria so yeah. at the time. He's, he's mentioned a lot on the Bohemian... Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. He's mentioned a lot on the Bohemian podcast, so... So they settled in the town of Trebon and continued their research there. In Dee's journal, he states... October 26th, Mr. Edward Kelly came to Trebona from Prague, end quote. <laughs> and according to Dee's diary, it was during that time that Kelly is said to have performed his first alchemical transmutation. To be precise, on the 19th of December, 1586. Kelly's skilled draftsmanship is 
is evident in the notes taken by D during certain seances. So uh, these notes are available in D's Book of Enoch. These notes show Kelly's initial commitment to the alchemist's mutual goal, but somewhere along the way, this goal clouded by Kelly's sudden desire to end their sessions. You just got to keep in mind that, that all this um, angelic translation was a lot of work. So I'm not sure on what, you know, Kelly is just, it's just kind of noted over and over that he was more interested in straight up laboratory alchemy, whereas D, you know, kind of making money and, and, you know, getting patronage, whereas D was really interested in the spiritual side of things. Um, Which took a belief system and, and a lot of thought and time. It sounded like yeah. to me that Kelly's like, you know, that's too much. Can, can, we, yeah, cut, so can we cut to the chase exactly. here? Exactly. Kelly right? went straight straight for the prophet. And so that's why sometimes it's, it's kind of, that's, that's interpreted as that D might have been one of the victims. That mm-hmm. D was really into this stuff and... Whereas, whereas Kelly was like, because every time they, they did a translation from, from angels, they had to sit, they had to meditate, they had to pray, they fasted. You know, it's a big drag if you, if you don't really believe in it. If you know it's a sham, then, oh, man, you know, what a bother. But, but Dee insisted, and in 1587, possibly as an act to sever their sessions, Kelly reve- revealed to Dee that the angels, namely a spirit, Madimi, had ordered them to share everything they had including their wives. Oh, boy. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> Wife swapping 16th century style. Yeah. So this has, again, been speculated. And I've, I've read this in, in several sources. Again, it's, it's kind of speculation, but, but you hear this a lot, is that this was a way for Kelly to end the kind of fruitless spiritual conferences so that he could concentrate on alchemy. Because right? this would be a deal breaker for Dee, right? He's not going to share his, his holy marriage. Right with Kelly. Well, right. That's that's what Kelly's hopes was. Is that, right. Yeah, he right. Um, I mean, it's it's important to note that Kelly was really starting to make a lot of money under Rosenberg. So D didn't like this at all. And after this, he did break off these sessions. That was kind of that was crossing the line. But this cross matching did occur. So they did swap wives on uh, the twenty second of May. If you're interested, well, th- this is what his diary says. May 22nd, Mistress Kelly received the sacrament and to me and my wife gave her hand in charity and we rushed not from her. (laughs) I don't, I feel, this is awkward. Yeah. (laughs) This is really, this is, this is crazy stuff. What what makes it even worse is that nine months later, uh, Dee's wife, Jane, gave birth to a son, Theodorus Trebonianus Dee. That's a name and a half, by the way. So... You know, among the families, there might have been some speculation whose kid that actually was. But Dee raised him as his, as his own. And um, it, it's important to note that this, quote, cross-matching wasn't known outside the families, so that they kept it secret. So it wasn't a public scandal until after their, after their death. Everything was in his diaries. So, so then it was known. But at the time, there was, there was no backlash or anything, except for that Dee actually had Kelly's kid. But, hey. Yeah. You know, though it seems that these two shared uh, basically everything and, and were very cooperative uh, in this innocent par- partnership, it was often characterized as quarrelsome and tense, as you probably can imagine when you kind of, inter- you know, intermatch your, your marriages. I can't imagine that being a very uh, smooth sailing. Kelly left D in Chabon in uh, 1589. Possibly to join the emperor's court at Prague. D, however, returned to England, and they did not see each other again after this departure. So they really did part ways. Yeah, that was it. Well, that'll do it. I mean, wow, heavy stuff. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In 1590, Kelly was living an opulent lifestyle, if you can imagine this. He received several estates and large sums of money from the Rosenberg family. Remember, we talked about this, peaks and valleys in his life. This was one of those peaks. Kelly was able to access gold and silver mines with his connections, and he took advantage of this every, every chance he could take, working with his alchemy until the various noblemen thought that he was able to produce gold. Of course, that's pretty cool if you have access to mines. Yeah, that it, really helps the alchemical that, that process. That could help the process. Yep. So one of our favorites, Rudolph II, knighted him as Sir Edward Kelly of Imini and New Lubin in, in the 23rd of February, 1590. Rudolph had Kelly arrested in, on May, uh, in, in May of 1591 and imprisoned him. There's a big uh, change. Uh, yes, you notice there, I didn't give you a whole lot of change to, to see the, the, the uh, peaks. Now he's got the valley. Well, th- why? That also sounds like Rudolph II. Yeah, I mean, well, he probably had you know these fits of saying, "Where's my gold? Where's my gold? Yeah. I've the, had enough. You're the best thing ever. I'm going to make you a knight. Oh, and I'm going to lock you up." Exactly. So now he was imprisoned in Shrivikat Castle, which is outside Prague. What we've talked before on the Bohemian podcast, supposedly for killing an official named Yeri Hunkler in a duel. But it was also likely that he did not want Kelly to escape with his rumored alchemical secrets. That also sounds like Rudolph That's II. More, yeah, yep. it sounds more like Rudolf II. Kruvikat Castle outside Prague is one of the oldest castles uh, in, at the time, Bohemia that, uh, that was actually uh, the imprisoned castle of the very famed Charles IV Holy Roman Emperor during the first few years of his marriage uh, after being imprisoned by his father, John of Luxembourg. Uh, so today this castle uh, is uh, very well taken care of. It's, it's uh, one of the oldest castles in, in, in all of Czech Republic and has a lot of great stories about Kelly that we'll probably touch on a little bit later on in this podcast. So apparently Rudolf never really doubted Kelly's ability. Um, and he even, he even believed that he could produce gold on a large scale given the, the, you know, the material and, and time and all that. And he hoped that this imprisonment would kind of induce him to cooperate. Um, the other thing, like we said, is that Rudolf had this fear that Kelly might have, that might try to escape to England um, because, you know, Elizabeth I was actually trying to convince him to return to England. So that was a possibility. Rudolf was also kind of known for being a little on the paranoid side. So, you know, hard to say. But 1595, Kelly agreed to cooperate and, you know, produce gold. And he was then released and restored to his former status, so right back up on top. Again, he failed to produce and was again imprisoned, but this time in Hnevian Castle, which is in Most, in, in also in present-day Czech Republic. His wife and stepdaughter attempted to help him by means of an imperial counselor, uh, but Kelly died as a prisoner here in late 1597 or early 1598, whichever you can want to pick on that one, of injuries received while attempting to escape. Okay. Now, uh, that escape is a pretty interesting story in itself, Travis. Um, there's a large white tower we believe he was in, in Krovokat Castle, that he was kept in. And it was a very dark and, and tough time. Again, one of those valleys in his life uh, where he, he was basically in prison with no way out. Well, that was going to keep him sitting in one place. He needed to get out of there. So he put together some bed sheets and tied them together to make a homemade rope. As Kelly is slinking down this homemade rope of bed sheets, he realizes that there wasn't enough bed sheets. And this tower is pretty tall. You can even see it today. It's, it's pretty mammoth. He stopped halfway down and said, I'm just going to have to jump. There's no, I can't go back. I'm going down. He jumped, severely breaking his leg, compound fracture of the left leg, 
which of course back then was uh, almost a death sentence because of yeah. infection, right? Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what led to his demise. There's there's one correspondence um, between someone and Elias Ashmole that, that said that Arthur D, which was um, John D's son, that actually ended up becoming a, an alchemist as well, that Arthur D said also that Kelly dealt not justly by his father, and that afterwards imprisoned by the emperor in a castle from whence attempting an escape down the wall, he fell and broke his leg and was imprisoned again. Right? Kind of shows that Arthur D maybe felt differently about, about him than John D, but a few of Kelly's writings are still known today, including two alchemical verse treatises in English and three other treatises, which he dedicated to Rudolf II from prison. They're, they're translated as the alchemical writings of Edward Kelly. Now, the Anakian language, this is that angelic language of which I own a dictionary. <laughs> um, Kelly's angels, quote-unquote, sometimes communicated in special angelic language called Anakian. So Dee and Kelly claimed that the language was given to them by angels. Some modern cryptographers argue that Kelly invented it, okay, uh, which... Like there's the complete Enochian dictionary by Donald Lycock, which which I own, and there's some claim that this was a farce. But again, like we said, we're not. It's not clear whether D was a victim or an accomplice. I kind of see D as as being played here. You know, I, I think he was a true believer. I think he he really kind of followed his way through, thinking what he was doing was going to be the core of alchemical process and getting his message from the angels. And I think Kelly saw that, took advantage of it, rode, rode his coattails as long as he needed him. And when, by the time he, he actually elevated himself to be, have the, the ears of all these emperors and kings, he didn't need D anymore. He, he wanted out he of was it. Done. Yeah. He was yeah. done. So uh, I, I think he was – I think D was used a little bit here. Now we talk about the Voynich manuscript because this, this sets really a precedent. It was a dubious connection between the Voynich manuscript and John D. through Roger Bacon. Kelly had been suspected of having fabricated that book too, and in order to swindle King or Emperor Rudolph. Yeah, and and again, I, this is like the fourth time we mentioned that book. Um, so he probably because on our Roger Bacon episode, people thought that maybe he was the author. Um, it was probably none of the above. So again, if you look at the, the the book itself, it's it's just not clear who it was. This is very different than other things that Kelly did. But but that is one of the theories. It, you know, it's kind of a, a thin connection. But uh, um, there's another interesting thing about this angelic language, which is that, again, it was supposedly dictated by angels, which they would see through this crystal ball, which you can see in the British Museum. But so how this worked was the angels were said to tap out letters on a complicated table, kind of like if you think of a crossword puzzles, but with all the cells filled in. So they would tap out letters there. The first word were tapped out with each angelic word backwards, the following two-thirds with each word forward. So kind of a system to it. There's no big like errors or discrepancies in word usage between the first and following parts, so it, it, was, it was really cons um, consistent internally. And the English translations were not tapped out, according to Kelly, but they appeared on little strips of paper coming out of the angels' mouths. That seems a little more suspicious to me. But, I can see it. But okay. <laughs> now, here's, now, here's another theory. So maybe they weren't just straight-up charlatans. There's another um, theory that, that goes something like this, which if you take, for example, one of the words, which is teluk vovim, they say in the dictionary it says he who has fallen, okay, like Satan. 
but it's actually a Germanic-like combination of two other angelic words, words which is telok, which they have as death, and volvin, which they have as dragon. So he who has fallen would be literally translated as death dragon. Okay, both probably mean Satan. So you know, or a great heavy metal band, or a really great heavy metal <laughs> band. Um, so yeah, they're they're both obvious obvious references to Lucifer, but neither Kelly or D appears to have noticed or remarked on this. So this this is an argument in their favor that actually they might have gotten the language from somewhere else. Another argument in Kelly's favor is that the English translation are in a very different style of writing to that of Kelly's own writing. So the possibility does exist. So maybe he was just changing his style on purpose, but the possibility could be that he might have plagiarized it from some other source so that, that you know he stole this material from somewhere and then just kind of translated it to English. Um, but if that's the theory, this hidden source has never been found. It's never been recovered, never surfaced. So there's some alternative kind of explanations here that that are just kind of intriguing. I mean, I don't know really what to make make out of it, but yeah, there you go. Well, Travis, D considered the dictation of the angelic material as highly important for three major reasons. First, D believed the angelic angelic representation of a documentable case of true of true glossolalia, speaking in tongues, thereby providing that Kelly was actually speaking with the angels and not from his imagination. Second, the angels claimed that angelic was was actually the original prototype of Hebrew and the language of which God spoke with Adam, and thus the first human language. And third, the angelic material takes the form of a set of, of conjurations that were supposed to summon an extremely powerful set of angelic beings who, as he believed, would be able to reveal many secrets, especially the key to the Philosopher's Stone. So we'll, we'll do a separate um, podcast on, I mean, when we mentioned Kabbalah, that's kind of one thing. We'll, you know, this, this ties back to magical languages and kind of even, even some kind of hidden system like numerology and, and you know, other ciphers and, and kind of codes that we've come across. So I, I want to kind of break this down here, but we'll summarize all of these kind of systems in its own show. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of working my way through a book on John Dee right now. So uh, we will bring up Kelly again and some more interesting things that I'm learning in that book. And uh, obviously a lot more on John Dee. And this really kind of brings in, I, I, I particularly like with the Bohemian podcast, the connection to Bohemia for both these men had had. Sure. Uh, with this time, uh, a time that we consider on, on the show to be uh, epic. King, you know, uh, Emperor Rudolph II's court, what that must have been like. And here you have these guys jockeying for positions to be uh, the main alchemists for the emperor. Yeah. Amazing stuff. And, and, you know, we don't, we only know that just a fraction of really what these guys' lives, these lives were like for both Dee and Kelly. And what we do know is, is uh, leaves a lot to interpretation, but yet extremely interesting. Yep. Definitely fascinating stuff. So thank you very much for listening. Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter. 
at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast, all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on Bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy Podcast, thank you for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 